Hello and welcome to another episode of Inquiries and Theories. I am Morgan. I'm Bonnie. And today we are going to be talking about How to Survive a Summer by Nick White. Yeah, How to Survive a Summer is a new book by Nick White and it's about a guy named Will who, when he's a kid, he's sent to a gay conversion camp for the summer. Um, and this story of Will's actually gets translated into a film called Proud Flesh. Um, and because of this film and all of the talk that's going around, uh, we are seeing flashbacks and how it is connected to Will's life. So it's really about Will's adult life um, whenever Proud Flesh is released as a movie. And it just kind of brings back all those memories of the conversion camp, which is called Camp Levi. And so he starts to feel like really overwhelmed by all those feelings. So with Camp Levi, uh, we get to experience a lot of the horrors that conversion camps include. Um, Within Camp Levi, they have a sweat shack, which is a really hot shack without any windows or anything that just they sit in throughout the day. Um, The Poison Lake, which has a lot of chemicals within it, which they are made to swim, which um, produces a lot of sores on their body. Yeah, and it almost, whenever they're swimming in the lake, it's almost like a baptism for them. Like, that's what it's supposed to represent within the camp, but it's pretty messed up because they have all this poison in the lake. absolutely. Um, And they also were made to journal about their life experiences, which comes across as testimonies and also a lot of physical activity. Yeah, so as Will starts to think about his childhood and just become really overwhelmed during the course of the movie coming out, um, he decides to escape his current life and go to visit his father, who he's not seen in something like 10 years because of his experiences at the camp and growing up being gay. Yeah, and um, Will really struggled within his family and his home life because his father was a Baptist pastor. And um, pretty much through his entire life, he's been exiled, honestly, within his own community. Um, His mother really seems to be the only one that ever understood him. And we see a lot of that with the flashbacks to his childhood. Yeah, so um, whenever he's headed back home, uh, he eventually does reconnect with his father, but During the course of those events, he goes back and visits the site of Camp Levi, which is no longer a gay conversion camp. He visits his mother's childhood home, and he even meets up with some of the people that he attended the camp with when he was a teenager. Yeah, so that's pretty much just a broad overview summary of um, How to Survive a Summer. So we're just going to jump into talking about conversion therapy. Um, So conversion therapy isn't something that just happens in books or in movies. It's actually a very real but outdated concept. Um, It is widely practiced in a lot of different ways. And the the starter of all of this, his name is Joseph Nicolosi, and he is the founder of National Organization for Research and Therapy of Homosexuality in 1992. So this organization brought together a lot of psychologists, and their aims were to um, help gay people realize their heterosexual potential. Um, So really their belief was that everyone, whether they identify as gay or um, anything else, really, they um, all have heterosexual potential within. So their job was just to bring out that potential. Yeah, and Nick White, um, he actually did an interview for the Broken Plate, uh, Ball State's Literary Magazine, 
And he talked about his process of writing the book and all the research that he did. And he did a lot of research with conversion therapy. And um, kind of exclusively, he did a lot of research about Exodus International and Love in Action. So the organization Exodus International was an organization formed in the 1970s that their uh, motto was that they sought to help people who wanted to limit their homosexual desires. And the organization was active until really recently in June 2013. And although the organization now has been shut down, many of the pocket organizations around the world still exist. Um, So some of these therapy techniques um, would include methods such as um, lobotomy, electric electric shock uh, to the hands, head, and genitals, and testicle transplants from dead straight men. Um, It also included castration, female circumcision, uh, nausea-inducing drugs, and beatings. Um, I got that list from New Republic. Yeah, and all that sounds super medieval, but there was actually just an opinion piece published in the New York Times in January, and it's titled, I was tortured in in gay conversion therapy, and it's still legal in 41 states. And the author of this piece uh, talks about their experience with conversion therapy as a teenager, where they endured sessions with a counselor in which they were told that they were an abomination and the only gay person in the world, and that it was inevitable that they would contract HIV or AIDS. And not only that, but they were also bound to a table and had ice, heat, and electricity applied to their body while watching gay men hold hands, hug, and have sex. And the point of that was for them to associate the pain that they were feeling in their body with being gay. But now the author of this piece, um, his name or their name is Sam Brinton, and they serve as the head of advocacy and government affairs for the Trevor Project, which is the world's largest suicide prevention and crisis intervention organization for LGBTQ youth. And every day they receive calls from people that are so hurt by conversion therapy, they're contemplating suicide. So it's still a really real thing in America today. Um, Some other stats that we have um, in a study that was published in 2018 by Williams Institute, uh, they found that 698,000 lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender adults have received conversion therapy. And 20,000 LGBT youth will receive conversion therapy from a licensed healthcare professional in the 41 states where it is still legal. Um, So luckily, we are beginning to see an end to conversion therapy. Um, Like we said, it's still legal in 41 states, but luckily it is illegal within California, New Jersey, Oregon, Illinois, Washington, D.C., and Ontario. And... um, in April 2015, Obama actually called for an end to conversion therapy. So we are seeing progress. Yeah, one of the most powerful driving forces in conversion efforts is religious faith. So queer people are often told by the church that being queer is a sin or something that they have to fix. And in the book, Will has the same experience with his dad, who is a Baptist preacher. Um, with Will's dad being a pastor, he also he has a lot of that pressure on him to be um, pure of this sin. And we also see um, that the leaders of Camp Levi are actually his um, aunt and uncle. So we have Mother Maud and Father Drake. And they really um, turn to the Bible to um, 
to these practices that they believe, which are very personal beliefs, <laughs> nothing proved. But um, so now the Christian Christian faith is beginning to view um, homosexuality as not a cardinal sin, but a regular sin. Um, there are churches that are now beginning to accept queer people, but many still are not. And if they've adopted the the love the sinner, hate the sin mentality, it still excludes queer people from the church, from God's acceptance, and from heaven. Um, and the, they also believe that being queer is something that needs to be forgiven. Yeah, so without or throughout the book, Will struggles a lot with God and religion, with his father being a preacher and um, Mother Maud and Father Drake. But there are a lot of practices that they teach at the camp that have religious roots that have kind of been twisted. So one of them is that they believe that the sins um, are passed down from father to son. So they, at one point they urge the campers to look back through their family history and find where their ancestors might have sinned, um, which they believe caused them to be gay. Um, and they kind of get that from... Uh, passage in the Bible, Exodus uh, 2 5, where, or 20, Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, it says, You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God and will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Yeah, so um, Mother Maud really takes us to heart and has them um, journal their own lives and also their relatives' lives to their knowledge. Um, so with Will, we actually see that connection with his um, uncle, who was, would you say, freely homosexual? Yeah, I think by the end of the book, the reader realizes that. Okay, so yeah. Um, so with his uncle... Um, which is obviously closely connected to Mother Maud, who is in charge of all of this. Um, we just see that connection being made, and also it is shown through a lot of the other characters and how their sins have mm, theor theoretically um, been passed down to them. Yeah, something else, um, or another biblical theme in the book, is the story of the prodigal son, um, so that's a story in the Bible that, um, in Luke, that tells the story of a son disobeying his father and he runs away from home after he uh, abused the, the gift of land that he had been given. And uh, he ends up living in destitution. He's eating out of like a pig uh, trough, like eating the slop. And so he finally decides to go back home. And he says to his father that he's going to work as a servant in his house because he betrayed him. But when he arrives back home, his father welcomes him with open arms and prepares a feast for him. So we see that in the book. Whenever Will goes to reconnect with his father, he's really worried about the way that his father is going to react. But when he finally gets there in the end, his father does welcome him back with open arms. Yeah, absolutely. His whole family does, honestly, which mm -hmm. is really beautiful. Um, so we also really want to talk about um, the film that was included within How to Survive a Summer, which is called Proud Flesh. Um, Will is a film major 
um, within, well, was a film major, I guess. He was doing his graduate studies. Mm-hmm. But um, he is really interested in film due to his studies, so he um, really gets interested in Proud Flesh and how that is really portraying. Yeah, so Proud Flesh was originally a book, and it was written by one of the counselors at Camp Levi whenever Will was a camper, and it just kind of detailed their experience. And then it was made into a movie by, well, one of the directors of the movie was a camper at Camp Levi, and they decided to make the movie so that it was set in the future from Camp Levi, and... The story is that one of the campers escaped into the woods um, at the end of the camp. And they kind of just hid out there and they're like this psychopath kind of going crazy. And then these kids come to visit the camp, these teenagers, and they've heard a lot of ghost stories, but they don't really believe it. And then one by one, each of these kids is killed by this psychopath living in the woods. With Will becoming interested in this, and it obviously sparks some raw emotions that he's still working through, but um, for him, he struggled to get through the film, and he just really worried about how um, the queer community would be represented throughout. Okay, so in the beginning, uh, when the film was first released, a lot of people in the queer community are protesting the film because they feel like it's a really poor representation of queer people. Like this, you know, guy wanders off. Yeah, he wanders off into the woods and he becomes a psychopathic killer. But in the end of the book, it's really interesting. A lot of um, people start to turn it into sort of like a, or they sort of start to reclaim the film. So Mm -hmm. there are a lot of like viewings at um, LGBTQ bars Mm -hmm. and they like will dress up, they'll wear like the mask that the killer wears in the movie. Um, So there's like a lot of divide, I think, between what people are thinking about the film. And something that I really found interesting was this concept of what people were thinking about the violence in the film. So there's an article um, titled Imagined Violence and Queer Violence. And the author of the article talks about the rage that marginalized groups feel a lot of times after being put down for so many years. And I think that we really see that in the split reaction to the film. So Will has this friend who is really into the film, who really finds it empowering. And Will asks him at one point, what's the point of all of the killing? And his friend Zeus says, I found it exhilarating, the killings. It's like a dark gay revenge fantasy. When the blonde was off, I almost stood up and applauded. Okay, and then later, whenever Will is talking to another member or another camper um, or a person that he went to the camp with, he says that Sparse, the director of the film and his fellow camper, gave them a hell of an ending. And he says he finally understands where Sparse was coming from, a place of inconsolable rage. So in the article... The author wrote that one of the ways marginalized groups try to take back some of the power they've lost is by using imagined violence and brutality to invoke fear in people who have had the power to hurt them. So she suggests uh, forming sort of a counter-reality as a powerful strategy of revolt emulating from an incredibly queer postmodern political culture. 
So by counter realities and imagined violence, she uses examples of song lyrics, poetry, and most notably film. And she says by creating a story of violence, you can incite fear in another group. And I think there's a lot to be said about the way that she talks about violence. So would you say like the empowerment comes in or through the form of art that shows um, that brutality for like the minority, or would you say that it comes through the fear in the majority? Uh, I think that maybe a little bit of both, but mm-hmm. I think that um, mostly it's that people feel like they now have a sense of power over others who have maybe tried to take that power away before. And then also I think that it gives them more of a power of representation. So mm-hmm. like by taking away the way that other people might portray them, they're kind of dismantling the real society. Yeah, so I think there's a real argument for the way that the director and the film do use violence to invoke fear and kind of um, other audience kind of get a sense of empowerment from it. But I think that also there's a danger that that kind of thing can be interpreted by some in the way that Will or others interpret it, that it's too much unnecessary violence or that even a critique of a certain group in power can be seen as like the other way around. So if they're trying to be ironic or like critique a group in power, it can be taken a little too literally. So I think that there's always that danger whenever you're creating something that depicts a lot of violence like that. So yeah, I would definitely say that this is a real eye-opener for those that can't really identify with a minority Um, in this Uh, book, we obviously have the LGBTQ community, but um, just a call to action to really um, go into different topics that um, involve minorities that you really don't um, identify with, just to go in with an open mind and to truly um, practice empathy and understanding within those situations. The world is uh, beginning to change to be more accepting of minorities, which is really great, but we obviously have a long way to go. This book, we see that the camp counselors, uh, Rick and Larry, um, they begin to take heart and want to take Camp Levi and to really um, transform that into a safe place for the queer community. Um, They really want to uh, buy back the land, which is now in Will's ownership and make it a camp for the LGBTQ community. Yeah, and it comes out later that Rick and Larry are actually gay themselves, so it's really interesting that they start to accept themselves near the end of the book. Um, While Will is accepting himself as well. Right. Yeah, and that's also seen like a lot in real life, um, especially with, I talked a little earlier about the Exodus Project, and Mm -hmm. it was shut down in 2013, Because the president of the project, uh, he came out as gay, and he said, um, this is a quote, he said, I'm sorry for the pain and hurt many of you have experienced. I'm sorry that some of you spent years working through the shame and guilt you felt when your attractions didn't change. I am sorry we promoted sexual orientation change efforts and reparative therapies about sexual orientation that stigmatized parents. And along with that change that he has in his heart, he's decided to make his goal the complete opposite of what it was before. Uh, the second quote was taken from him as well within the same speech. 
Um, Our goals are to reduce fear and to come alongside churches to become safe, welcoming, and mutually transforming communities. And that is Alan Chambers. Um, So that's something really cool that he's beginning to spark um, the acceptance within churches of the LGBTQ community. Um, Along with that, we have a really cool plug of the Reformation Project, uh, which is an organization that works to promote inclusion of LGBTQ people by reforming church teaching on sexual orientation and gender identity. And their vision is of a global church that fully affirms LGBTQ people. And something that we also found while looking into the Reformation Project was a website that um, links you up with affirming churches. Um, A little bit of a lame name, honestly, but um, it definitely does a trick. Um, That's gaychurch.org. So if you're interested in finding a church within your area that is affirming um, of the queer community, that's definitely a good place to start. Yeah, and I think that there are a couple in Muncie as well, so... If you're interested, you should definitely check that out. Um, So Nick White, uh, his books, How to Survive a Summer, he has an interview in The Broken Plate, which is going to be published on the 28th and 29th of March. And there is also an excerpt in that from How to Survive a Summer, which is a great book that you should read immediately if you have not yet. (laughs) Yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening. And this has been another episode of Inquiries and Theories. Thank you.